What is up, guys? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. I have a very special guest that is going to be here with me for the next couple episodes. Uh, This is Andrew Stalling, who is my agent, manager, and definitely a good friend. He's been with me uh, helping me with my crazy life and everything that I have going on for about, is it a year and a half now? Almost about a year and a half, a year and a half. So, um, uh, it is such a pleasure and honor to have him here with me today. He's up from Northern Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm originally from this area, from the Tidewater area. Yeah. So So. he he flew in today. Um, we're going to get, we're going to get really into just, uh, a lot of really great topics. I know that he wants to, uh, dig in and like kind of dive into, um, I don't know, like, I don't know. Wait. Well, <laughs> he has, okay. He definitely has some questions. Well, let's, me. let's take a step back here, right? There's few people that know you very, very well in this world. And I think blue is obviously one, your boys are another, and then there's probably little old me. And my job as it pertains to your day to day is to kind of have eyes on all the craziness and chaos, right? So with Reborn, when it came along, mm-hmm. I listened to every single episode. I diligently study, you mm-hmm. know, criticize and also say, okay, you know, this is what we could do better. That was good. This was not. So as we looked into season three, I said, Hey, Ashley, let's dive in deep. Mm-hmm. Right. Because even as we listen to a lot of different podcast episodes of you over the years and your incredible story, I think the one thing that your listeners love about you is that there is a lot to your story. And I think a lot of times we only touch the surface. So today, and I've kind of interjected myself into this role, but I said, look, I want to come in and I want to pull the curtains back Mm -hmm. and I want us to dive deep. So Mm. there might be- Should I be nervous? I, you know, I'm nervous for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, you guys are going to be just, I guess, be ready for a really excellent uh, show. Um, And if I'm being honest, whenever I met Andrew, Andrew was definitely a blessing that came into my life. And uh, I don't believe in, uh, I don't believe things just happen. I I know that it was meant to be that you were supposed to come into my life. And quite frankly, and nobody knows this about me, before Andrew came into my life, I was about to hang it all up. I was about to hang it all up. I was about to quit. I really felt like that I had lost my purpose. I didn't know what my purpose was anymore. Um, from the the moment that I was introduced to you, I kind of went through this, uh, I questioned everything that I had ever done. And I questioned my journey. I questioned my path. I, I didn't know like what I was doing anymore, who I was doing it for. And um, my, my mission was... Uh, uh, it, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I couldn't define it. And, uh, you really helped me light that fire, uh, within me again. And you gave me purpose again. And, and you made me realize that, um, you know, the journey that I'm on, it's, it's not a journey that, that has a finish line. It's a journey. And my story that I'm writing will be a story that I'll be writing forever. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm, I'm excited that you're here. I think maybe I should be nervous that you're here. So, you know, we're going to, I have no idea like, like where the conversation is going to go or like what he's going to ask me, but I, um, I really want to get into happy hour. So whenever I first met Andrew, which was last year, I, I went to his house in Connecticut and he introduced me to this scotch. It's from Islay, Ireland, which I love Ireland. Um, I've been able to visit once and, um, it's called Lafloig. 
You gotta like, get it right. La Floig. You gotta hit that R, just uh, La like, Floig. La Floig. Yeah, <laughs> let the F come, but the R just hits. La Floig. You say it so much. I know. And it's Maybe also, I'll say it better after I've had like. Yeah. So, our happy hour today, <laughs> we are gonna have it's a, what is it, a smoky? Smoked Manhattan. A smoked Manhattan. So, yep. it is with La Floig. You'll hit it again. <laughs> just uh, and, uh, you'll make two of these and you'll be okay. So that yeah, I don't know if I can have two. I feel like I'm gonna be like <laughs> on the floor after I have one. So we're gonna have this is a it's a single malt scotch and it's from Islay, Ireland. And so it's with a scotch and then we're also gonna do a bourbon. And so my bourbon of choice, I love High West um, bourbon. And so we're doing the bourbon rye. It's the limited sighting. So we're gonna do that. Um, we have some. What is this? This is the. Uh, bitters. Yep. And we, this is a cocktail that we actually don't, um, we don't have this at American brew, but we might start. Yes. So yet. yet. Um, so we are going to start out with, um, the two ounces. This is for a single drink. So it's the two ounces of the high West. So Andrew is going I will to take the wheel. Okay, and then it's a half an ounce of the Lafloig. Lafloig. I can't say. <laughs> You're going to get it. You're going to get it by the end of this week. You'll get it. And then we have the uh, one ounce of vermouth. So, Ashley, let me ask you, while we're putting this together, uh-huh. have you ever thought about if you could make a cocktail for your life, what would you call it and what would be in it? Because I sometimes think about that. I, my, my mind races and goes deep, and the listeners will learn that about me too. It's my business and what I do. But if you were a cocktail and you had stuff in it, what would you put in your cocktail? Start off first, and then what would you name it? Like like what like what alcohol would I put in it? Yeah, anything. You know, mixers, oh. cocktails, um, uh, liqueurs, anything. What would go in it? Well, I don't like things that are too sweet. So no sugars, okay. A little bit of a little bit of sweetness, but okay. I just I think after you have like a lot of sugar and alcohol after a while, right? It uh I don't know it kind of like goes to your head a little bit. Yeah, like you just feel gross. Um, I I really I really appreciate straight whiskey or bourbon or even scotch. I mean this uh uh the scotch that we're having. If you guys have not had the Lafleur, um, it's it's amazing. And it has a very, very distinctive taste. It tastes like, uh, I, I almost think it tastes like, I always say it's it's like a campfire exploded in your mouth. That's, that's what I tell everybody. Have you had the high West, uh, the campfire high West? I have. So this is stronger though. Yes. The taste of Lafloig is like, I love high West, which is why I picked the bourbon high West today, but they have high West also has a, a bourbon, it's it's the campfire high west. Right. But Lafloig is like it's like strong. Okay, so and then you did the cherry. Yep. And then I do like a dash of the bitters. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we added we mix everything in, uh, put it into a dry uh, pint glass, mix it in with a stirring spoon, and then pour over one large ice cube, add the cherries, add the bitters at the end, and sip up and enjoy. So Ashley has hers in hand right now. I am going to finish myself off. So Andrew is with a Thalo group. After all these years, she still can't pronounce my company. A Thalo. A Thalo. A Thalo. 
Really? That's what you think it is? <laughs> Othello? It's Othello. And it's Othello. Two, and I it, know what it means. It right. means athlete and opportunity combined. Right. And it's a funky little See, run-on word that most people it. can't pronounce, so it's good marketing. Othello. It always leads to an explanation, just like we did here today. <laughs> so it's perfect, right? So so Andrew, like we, we talked about this uh, just a second ago, but he helps manage me with like all the athletic stuff that I do, but it even like pours over into, you know, stuff that we're doing here with the, with the podcast. And, yeah. um, he has definitely heard a lot of tears, uh, from me and working through the problems and, um, and he is definitely, you know, I'm sure it's not just me, but you, you help a lot of athletes grow and, uh, it's, it's been a journey with you yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, a lot of people don't realize and they often forget that athletes are human beings at the core of anything that we yeah. do. Right. So at the end of the day, when TVs get turned off, the cameras get turned off. We are all human beings. Yeah. And I think that is the thing that's most relatable. And that's why you and I have grown such a great rapport over the last year and a half, which feels like a decade at this point. But it's because there is an understanding to it that goes beyond business. Right. And I think too often, we only focus on the me, me, me elements of it. Mm -hmm. And in this world, the more you give is the more that you will ultimately take. Mm -hmm. So to that, I say, cheers. cheers. How many hours do you think you work a week? Honestly, I, I, if it was anybody else, I would probably make the joke that it's more than you, but you're the only person that probably works just as much or more than me. But uh, I am, I'm pushing at least 80, 85. Yeah. Most weeks, right. you know, some, some weeks less, some weeks more, but it depends, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm managing up to 25 athletes right now and got about 110 different brands and companies that we're working with and properties as well. And everyone's ask is different. It's not just sponsorship deals and influencer deals. You know, we're, we're helping athletes build their apparel and clothing lines. We're helping mm -hmm. them re-identify and find their own reborn, you know, for a different element and chapter of their career. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it really just expands to the needs and wants of these individuals. But it, it again, it goes back to just the empathy, mm -hmm. right? The empathy and the connection that you have with these individuals. Because I think as I told you day one when we met, I don't want to work with somebody that I don't see the next 10, 20, 30 years with, right. you know, like if they're going to leave, you know, after a year and a half and it's only dollars and cents, then that's not who I want to work mm -hmm. with. If mm -hmm. there is a mutual respect and understanding for what we're doing and it's a give and take for how we both can grow, mm -hmm. then it's a win-win. Mm -hmm. And I think very few people in our industry look at, look at it that way because it's, it's very money driven. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I would say like the amount of time that I feel like that you spend with me, I don't know how you have even the time to like <laughs> manage other athletes. And then on top of that, it's all of a, you know, the contract deals and then everything else that it's just, I don't, I don't know. I think that you have a duplicated twin somewhere that I just haven't met yet. I can't tell you all my secrets. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, then I'd be screwed. All right. So. Well, uh, cheers. Cheers. And, uh, I mean, this so, is going to be so strong. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I already took my preemptive sip and I am, uh, wow. it's good though. It's very, it's very smoky. Yeah, it is very yeah. smooth. It, it, it doesn't have, as much of a bite as I, I thought it was going to have. The cherries drown out the peatiness. And I think that's a term that you were looking for when explaining Lafroig is that there is Peating? a lot of peatiness what is what mean? they call it. So the proper term and definition of it, again, a listener will call me out and blow me up on social media. So I'm not even <laughs> going to try to go down that path. But I know that, you know, Lafroig specifically from the island of Islay in Scotland. I thought it was Islay. 
uh, is like I like see okay. you know again tomato tomato in the, in the grand scheme Othello, of it. Othello, Othello, <laughs> or as NASCAR driver Corey LaJoy calls it, Athleto burrito. Um, <laughs> so, um, but you know when you know it drowns out all the peanuts, so it's like super smooth, super smooth, and less bite. Mm. So there is a a big amount of bite to it. So speaking of bite, um, mm-hmm. I want to I want to kind of take the wheel here, and okay. I'm going to drive this conversation a little bit moving forward, and as even on my way down here on my flight this morning, I guess, quick sidebar, I was supposed to be here last night. And as I got to my gate, I was sitting there waiting patiently, 930 flight. I realized at 920 that- and Guys, I, he was working. He had his, um, you know, he he's, that's what I'm going back to like, he's always working. He was working. <laughs> he was like knee deep into work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I missed my flight. So I'm, I'm here this morning as, as I was coming down here and just listening to past podcast episodes, mm-hmm. doing a dive deep into your world and your media, you know, going back to, you know, the last year, going back to the bodybuilding.com days, going back to, you know, specifically even the days of San Diego and, you know, Guam and Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And I want to start specifically in Oklahoma Mm -hmm. because in a lot of your different media interviews and opportunities, people know Ashley Horner as the fitness celebrity, the model, the icon, the mother, the philanthropist, but where it all came from is what matters the most. And from somebody who has met your mother, I know the listeners have had a great opportunity to spend a lot of time with your mother, mother, and I think it's great, but you know, learning a little bit more about your father and your siblings and stuff mm-hmm. is, is what I'm very curious about. So let's, let's date line. Okay. Birthday again. Birthday. You don't have to say the year. Birthday. Birthday. February 22nd, 1984. I ain't afraid. To okay. say what you- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so Feb- Feb- February, okay. February 20, February 22nd, February 22nd, 1205. Oh, I actually no don't know way. what time I was born. I was going to say, there's no way you know <laughs> that. Um, so, Okay. And you were, you were born in Oklahoma, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. So talk to me just a little bit about your youth, you know, like uh, again, the earlier years, um, you know, your background, talk, talk to us a little bit about your town, like where mm-hmm. in Oklahoma specifically mm-hmm. talk to me about the town a little bit. So I was born and raised and my mom still lives in the same house that I was born and raised in, in a tiny town called Sepulpa, Oklahoma. Okay. It's grown over the years, but, uh, I neighbored right up against Kiefer, Oklahoma, which was considered like the armpit of Oklahoma. I think for a while I, I it's, it's gotten better, <laughs> but yeah. it like, uh, so just rural Oklahoma. Um, I have one brother who is two years older than me. And I mean, I just, uh, I was really, I was always really shy growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that was just because I, I didn't have a whole lot of like social life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Like I was just in Oklahoma. We were on a ranch. It was rock and D ranch. Okay. And, uh, I just have these memories of, um, my parents were outside with the horses pretty much every day. Uh, and just growing up like in, I don't want to say like in nature, but I was definitely, I was definitely a tomboy or yeah. a tom girl. And, um, I mean, I, I, everything that I have from my childhood, it's all good, good memories. So talk to me a little bit. You mentioned because a, a lot of listeners don't know this about you. And I think especially when you have a personality like yourself, you uh-huh. know, with a massive social media following and, and everything else, there's often this portrayal that Ashley is this outgoing enigma, right? But those that cl- are closest to you know that you're actually very introverted. And, you know, you're, again, you you like people, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you also like your space. You like your quiet time. So were you, was your dad like that? Which I, I, Your mom uh, is the most outgoing person yeah, I've ever really, seen. My mom's really outgoing. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. Cause it's interesting. I remember, um, like whenever we would go to church on Sundays, my mom would always be the first one out the door and like getting in the car. And my dad would be the one that would like stand around and like want to socialize with everybody. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not really sure who I, who I get it from. I mean, my dad, like if anybody was social though, it definitely would have been my mom, like going to just like family mm -hmm. parties or like gatherings, or, like get togethers. Um, my dad was really quiet also. Um, but he was stern. He was like a stern, a stern loving father. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, you know, and I don't think that, um, the whole like introverted part, I think that comes with like, you know, over time and as I've grown as um, just kind of like an athlete and um, as I've grown as an athlete, it, I almost kind of feel like, you know, once you get to a point, it's almost like you feel like they, people are like always watching you yeah. or like even like in public or like being out in like a social environment. And so you kind of need that, uh, that area or that space to where you can kind of go back and just almost like your safe zone, like sure. your safe haven. But right. um, I'm definitely no different than how I am like either here working at American brew or if somebody were to see me out or like, or like an actual like meet and greet. It's not like the, when people say that there's like a, a, like a switch that flips, it's not like I turn into like a different person or anything, or I have like a, like an on switch or an off switch. I'm the same. I just, it's almost like I have to kind of retreat a little bit to like, I don't know, like re-energize myself and then go back out yeah. into the world. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I mean, I, as me living in Northern Connecticut, I mean, people look at me all the time, you know, mostly with a raised eyebrow. They're like, you are one <laughs> ugly dude, you know, Whatever. but that's, that's, you know, that's my problem, right? Probably so you're working all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's my wife's the one that's giving me the raised eyebrow when it comes to work mostly. Um, so yeah, no, I, I can completely understand that. And, you know, we'll definitely get to that a little bit later on just in terms of, of understanding that world, um, and kind of, you know, even just your day to day, like some mm -hmm. of the challenges and elements to it that a lot of people may not understand, but you know, you're living in Oklahoma, you know, talk to me just a little bit more about your parents as individuals, because, you know, again, the listeners have had a chance to, to meet Patsy, but at the same time, you know, your father, unfortunately is no longer here with yeah. us. And you've, you've talked a little bit about it, you mm -hmm. know, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, your relationship with him and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But you know, what was it like growing up? You mentioned your father was very stern, you know, obviously going to church, um, mm -hmm. sounds like religion and structure, you know, mm -hmm. were, you mm -hmm. know, very much, you know, heavy in your household. Talk to me just a little bit about your, your upbringing, like a combination of, of how your parents, um, you know, kind of took on parenting, you know, you and your brother and, mm -hmm. you know, how maybe that transitioned a little bit to how you look at how you're a mother today. Mm -hmm. Well, so my father, he was a, a rancher, but he also had, he also, I think I've talked about this. He also had like a French fry factory. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, I mean, it was like, it was like a hard, dirty job. And then he yeah. also sold like used cars on the side. So I guess you could say, I mean, my father, like through and through, he was like an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was tiny and like the bad part of, of town in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. Um, but he, he did like the, the French fries for like small local businesses. Okay. Um, so, I mean, like, I don't know. Um, well, hold on real quick. What's your favorite kind of French fry? It has to be for like a fresh cut French fry, just straight fresh French cut? fries. Yeah. Like there's so many different kinds. You have sweet potato fries, you have waffle fries. These I, well, days. I love sweet potato fries, but he never yeah. made sweet potato fries. Yeah, we I never mean, did. We just did like, like, I don't know. I remember my dad always smelling like potatoes every time we would come <laughs> home. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, like my, I, you know, my dad was always really quiet. He worked long days and, you know, he'd come home and he would just, I just remember that, um, you know, my mom would cook dinner and dinner would be ready. It was just a, a, a just a 
all American family, I guess, like what you would think of or like consider like an all American family. And, um, but my, my father who was like never sick ever in a day of his life, you know, he started having like some acid reflux and then he started having like, like he, every time he would eat, he would get hiccups, which is super weird. And my mom was like, you should probably go to the doctor. Cause every time he would try to eat, we would start like laughing at right. him, like at the dinner table. Cause we'd be like, like what the hell's wrong yeah. with you? <laughs> you know? And so he's like, okay, I guess I'll go to the doctor. And then that's whenever he was diagnosed with, um, esophagus cancer. And at the time, I think they linked it back to is because he had acid reflux and he like never got it taken care of. Um, but he had, uh, he got diagnosed with cancer and this was like in June or July of, um, man, what year was that? It was like 2001 or 2002. Um, but then he ended up dying like nine months later on his birthday. Okay. Um, but I'll never forget. I'll never forget the moment that, uh, he, you know, it was a Sunday morning. It was like right before church. And I set up on the kitchen counter and I grabbed like a bowl of cereal, like getting ready to eat cereal. And he's like, Hey, I got to tell you something. It was him. It wasn't my mom. It wasn't like they set us down. Was your brother you know. around? No, my brother was not around. My brother was, um, he was at, he was in college. He got a full ride scholarship to Harding university playing soccer. Nice. Okay. Um, which later on he gave up his scholarship to come back after my father passed away gave up everything to help my mom, like get my dad's company under control. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember like, you know, like whenever my dad, you know, told me that he had cancer, it was just really weird because I had never known anybody in my life to like have cancer. I was like, well, what is this? Like, what does it mean? And, um, it was a positive outlook, but I mean, really quick, like my, my dad's life deteriorated. In fact, um, along the journey of him fighting, he had to have so many crazy amounts of surgeries. And, uh, it was like Christmas time, we got news that he had actually beaten the cancer. And so it mm. was just like, it was a miracle. And shortly after that, probably like two or three weeks later, he ended up getting sick again with like pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And then they brought him back in and the cancer just like spread all over his body. And yeah. then from there it was just, um, you know, I, I just have, I think there's key points like, and, and looking back on my life then I didn't realize how much of an impact it would make on me now. Like mm -hmm. the human that I am, now and today. And, um, I, I just remember my mom, I have like this memory of my mom and I've talked to my mom about this and she was like, I, she doesn't remember it. And probably cause she was like in a state of just like fighting for, you know, my dad and just, you know, but I have this, uh, memory. I remember sitting in the living room and, um, my mom was yelling, uh, at my dad, which she never raised her voice. Well, she raised her voice at like, you know, my brother and I, but, uh, you know, she would raise her voice sometimes. So this was like, it was just different. And, you know, when my dad was like not feeling well again, after the news came back that he had beaten it and, you know, he was like, I, I just don't feel good. Like I can't stand up. And my mom was like, yes, you can, you can get up and you're going to fight for this. And I just remember thinking like, like, I mean, my mom just wanted him to fight so bad. And mm -hmm. she, you know, she wanted like, and at that point, like there was, you know, she, she could only do so much. Like he had to be the one that, that had to fight. And I mean, he did and he, and he was fighting, but I think that it was, um, just the inevitable truth that his life was deteriorating and there was no coming back at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy because I, I'll kind of take a step back and make this a little bit broader that, you know, a lot of the listeners can probably, you know, relate to this in so many ways yeah. that 
you know, we're at the time this is being recorded, we're coming out of this crazy world of COVID, uh-huh. you know, and you know, we, we are learning so much about ourselves and, you know, our vulnerabilities as human beings. And, and I know you talk about specifically the, the mental aptitude that it takes, you know, from a fitness standpoint, as an entrepreneur, as a mother, but when we deal with issues within our family that, you know, all of us have different scales of issues that, that we deal with, it is something that no two stories are ever the mm-hmm, same. Mm-hmm. And, the way that people handle it and the character that goes into it ultimately redefines you, right? I won't even say it defines you. It redefines you because, mm-hmm. you know, for me personally, I, you know, I can speak to the depths that I've dealt with, you know, from cousins to my mother to friends. And, you know, every story has set it up differently for how I ultimately approach different situations and different mm-hmm. chapters in my life moving forward. And as I look at those situations, I always say, you know, it is, yes, it's another test. It's another challenge to overcome. But ultimately, coming out on the other side, you don't even realize how important and how imperative it is for us to go through those struggles in life mm-hmm. and what they do to us yep. to set us, you know, not just so much as individuals, but for the people and community that we surround ourselves with. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for you as, you know, your boys and, you know, your customers and, you know, your athletes, like so many people flock to you for these moments of triumph. And all along, like you said, it's almost subliminal, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you look back in those moments and, you know, you were what, 10th grade, maybe like, yeah, give or take, you know, yep. and it's, it's something that as you look at that, you probably don't even realize until mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to speak out about this, that the entrepreneurial spirit of your father, you know, the structure and compassion and the strength of your parents' marriage ultimately has helped you probably in so many different ways that you don't even get a chance to realize because you're in go mode. Right. But it sets, it sets the stage, right? Yeah. It's funny how our, our childhood and the lessons that we learn along the way, because it is true. Like we are on this journey and like, you know, the things that happen to us. Um, and there's a story that I've told and I'll, I'll tell it again. And it was when I was, man, I had to be about like Cash's age or younger. So like 10, 12, maybe a little bit younger, but I remember, um, sitting inside the living room and we never watched television, but I remember I was like, I was watching television and I think my mom was trying to break one of the horses out there. So she was like riding it Mm -hmm. and she got bucked off and she ran into the living room. I just remember like the, you know, the front door, like the screen door flying open and my mom running through the living room into the kitchen. And you know, her nose was like all bloody. And it was because like she got bucked off of, uh, her horse. It was, um, AP, which stands, which stood for Ashley's percentage. And, uh, and it, it was so funny because it's like, you know, that was a story. I remember that. I remember being like, dang, because she like wiped all the blood from her nose. And then she and my mom, we've talked about this before, but like my mom is like, uh, like maybe five foot, like a hundred pounds. My mom's little, my mom's like super <laughs> tiny. And, you know, she just wiped the blood from her nose and like, you know, and, and turn around and like stomped outside. I remember following her outside to be like, like, what's going on? And she was like, you know, she wasn't running, but she was like serious walking. Like she's got business to like take care of, like just kind of stomping her feet, walking right out to the pasture to get the horse. I remember my dad saying, Patsy, don't you get back on that horse. And (laughs) that's what she was doing. And it was like, it was so funny because my horse that I have, Lola, whenever she bucked me off, I don't even think that I, 
really remembered that story. And the moment that Lola bucked me off and like I fell off into the dirt, it, it didn't hurt. Like Lola's like not, a, it scared me more than anything, you know, cause I wasn't, I didn't know what to do and I wasn't expecting it. Right. But I, I turned around and I started to like want to run like towards like the gate arena. And then I was like, no, I was like, I got to get back on that horse. And yeah. um, there's like, there's a lot of things that are a takeaway from that. It was like, you can't allow like the fear to set in because if, if I wouldn't have got back, if I wouldn't have gotten back on her, like the fear of me, like ever getting back on her would have set in. And then like the horse has to know like that you're the boss. And mm -hmm. so, and that you're not afraid of them. And, um, so it was in that moment of like, I just, I got back, I got bucked off and then I started to turn, like walk towards the gate. And I was like, I remember my mom getting bucked off and she just ran towards the fight with the horse and yeah. got back on that horse. That's awesome. And, uh, but yeah, I think that like, you know, life is all about like teaching us stories and we may not realize it. We might, we may not realize it in the moment. And like, even, even the hard times that we're going through, we may not realize it when we're in the thick of it. Cause we're like, why is this happening? And like, I don't understand, but right. there is a purpose. There's a lesson to be taught in every hardship and even in every victory that we go through. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for you and I, in our, in our relationship, I think it's so funny because I don't think either of us ever really focus on the victories. We, we don't. And that's, that's really what I've always cherished about our friendship is that we get a lot of victories, you know, yeah. and we're very, very lucky that we have such a good working cadence together, but never, I, I think more than anything, we are always telling the other, like bringing each other back up right. to reality and right. saying like, dude, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, this is good. This is yeah. a good thing. We're, we're always focused on like, what could we be better at? Uh -huh. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, the victories, the losses, they're all learning exercises. Yeah. So, you know, especially dealing with loss, you know, at any point in your life, it is going to redefine you, you know, as we were talking about. So, you know, you know, first and foremost, cheers to dad. Cheers. Cheers to dad. So we'll say, we'll say that first and foremost, but so your father passes away. Mm -hmm. What, like what happens next? I mean, you know, you, I, you mentioned he was a, a business owner, your, your brother, I guess let's, let's pivot over to the relationship with your brother a little bit, uh -huh. you know, um, it sounds, I mean, he's living in Alaska these days, yeah, right? Yeah, he's so, in Alaska. So he again, has five kids. Good he God. He just had his fifth. What I know. The? And then he also got a, he got one of Raven and Cadman's puppies too. Oh my gosh. So he has a Belgian Malinois. What's he's it up, up in... with you clients? You're psychos. <laughs> I know. Oof. I know. Okay. All right. So brother's just as crazy as you. Yeah. Got it. Um, talk to me just a little bit about your relationship with him growing up and, you know, leading up to that moment, obviously, you know, he's in college, mm -hmm. your father leaves, but even just leading up to that moment. And then nowadays, you yeah. know, we'd love to learn more about your relationship with him. Cause I personally don't know a whole lot, except for I sent him 50 Traeger grills by accident, apparently <laughs> yeah, net last week did. or something. He got a, tra <laughs> a Traeger. They're really, you know, it's big enough to feed. Uh, he has enough stuff to like feed his entire family of seven now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, my brother and I, we had just like the, I mean, the typical brother sister relationship of like where we just fought all the time. Um, I remember, like I was just, I was like the standard younger sister. Like I would go and like pester him or like bug him. And then I would sprint away and then I would go crying to my mom and then he'd be the one that would get in trouble. So uh, <laughs> we're really close now, but yeah, my, he was really close to my father, probably more so than I was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he took it really hard. He was in college at the time. He had a, a full ride to Harding university playing soccer. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know a whole lot about the details of this. I know that, um, I know that when my father, 
passed away or like when my father was like at his last days, he was just getting into like drinking a lot. I think that's how he was just, you know, coping with his problems. And, um, you know, he, I, I don't know if he was still at Harding or if he had moved back yet. Cause eventually he, he did end up moving back. But, um, the night that my father passed away, my mom and I were actually there. We were present. He was sitting in our living room or no, he was sitting in our, our kitchen. We moved our kitchen table where we would always have our dinners. And, um, he was on like a hospice bed. Hospice wasn't there. It was just my mom and I, mm -hmm. but we couldn't, we realized that it was like the last couple hours, you know, for my, right. for my father. And, um, we couldn't find my brother. We couldn't get a hold of him. And, um, whether he wanted to be found or not, I, I don't know. Um, but I think that when that happened, that moment, that was, that was really, really tough on him because my mom and I watched my father pass away. In fact, my mom was like reading a passage through the Bible and it was just like, I just remember staring at my dad and I just, I was looking at the pulse like in his neck and it just disintegrated. It just came to a stop. And it was just, it was the most, it was so surreal and bizarre because for the longest time it was like, we just kept fighting something. And it was almost like, I remember I went to bed that night and I, I felt relieved finally that I, I didn't have to see my mom. Like I didn't have to see my mom fight for my dad anymore, that he was, he was at peace and, um, that he is, you know, he had gone off to a better place. Uh, and I remember I felt like a little bit guilty for like being thankful that like his life was finally over. And I know that that probably sounds like really morbid, but it was just like my father was suffering and my mom was suffering. And, um, and I remember I slept with my mom that night in her room and her room was like right next to the kitchen where my dad was. And there were no machines anymore. There wasn't like a respiratory breathing apparatus anymore. It was just quiet. And I remember thinking like, it was just so, it was so bizarre and it was weird. And I remember feeling guilty that I was like, I was glad that, that it was just, that it was over. Yeah. Um, and, and I've talked to my mom about that also. And I just think that it was, you know, it was like, it just got to a point where it was just the suffering. Like we didn't want him to suffer anymore. And, um, I mean, that whole night was just kind of a blur. My brother ended up coming home, I think. Cause like the, I don't know, they call it like a hearst. Yeah. I, the yeah. hearst like came out and got him and, um, yeah. it was just weird. I remember like, it was weird too, because I, I didn't cry. You know, I think there had been so many tears before that. It was just like, my grandma came over and I just remember I just kind of like sat there and just like watched it all. It was like, it was like a dream. Like I was yeah. dreaming. And, um, and then my brother ended up, uh, coming back, dropping out of college. Um, and he came back to run to help my mom with, with my dad's business. That was actually, um, it was in shambles. It was like, it was, it was just, a mess when my mom stepped in and my hanging on by a thread basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was hanging on by a thread. Like, you know, my dad, and this is like, I guess this is like where I get, you know, my desire to do all like the charity stuff that I've done. But like, it was interesting coming back. Um, or when my mom stepped into my dad's business and my mom realized that my dad was like, there were like homeless people who were working for him. And then my father was just like managing their money, like to get them like off of like the drugs and the alcohol that they were on, but he was paying them, but he was like managing their money and he was just giving stuff away for free. He was like giving people cars. And my mom was like, what, like, you know, like what, like what, like what are you doing? Like you have wow. to, um, 
And that was like really interesting. It, it wasn't, and my dad never talked about that. He never talked about, I never knew that he had homeless people that he was like employing because like, I think I mentioned before, it was in a really bad part of Tulsa, like yeah. where his, uh, where his potato factory was. Um, but he was just like giving people cars and he was like giving people jobs and it, it was a hard job, like having a potato factory, Sure, like the, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not glamorous it's not, like, at all. Not, yeah. Not bougie. By and, um, so I, you know, I remember my mom, like it was, it was just interesting. I remember my mom, like whenever she came back into the picture and she, uh, had to take hold of my dad's missus, she was just like, like what the heck has gone on here? And she, she got it all straightened out. And, um, there was one time and kind of talking about like how it was just in a bad part of town. You know, my mom's really little and, uh, and she, you have to go into work because if you're serving French fries to these restaurants, right, you, your day starts at like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning. Of course, yep. And uh, because you have to, and they're fresh. They're all fresh mm -hmm. fries. Nothing's frozen. And uh, there was one morning that my mom was in the, um, like the warehouse or whatever, like doing all these potatoes and the French fries. And she remember looking outside and she had a Jeep at the time, like a Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. And like these two guys were just like breaking into her Jeep. And there was absolutely nothing she could do. Like it was, it was that bad to where she was just like, she couldn't go out there because her life would have been in danger. Yeah. And so she just watched him from the window, like totally strip her entire Jeep of everything. Um, and that like, that's the kind of, just to set the setting of like, like the kind of area that my, my dad was in. Um, but she ended up, she completely turned the business around and then she ended up selling it. Wow. Yeah. Within like a couple of years, her and my brother. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, the one thing I want to comment on, you know, that I just find very interesting because, uh, you know, again, this is, this is about your story. But one thing I will say is my, my mother, you know, I unfortunately lost her, you know, in, you know, kind of, I wouldn't, again, like nothing's ever similar, but you know, my mom battled multiple sclerosis for many mm. years and, you know, it wasn't so much the MS that killed her. It was that she was a very prominent nurse in the like the Tidewater Virginia area um you know like for my family I, I'm from Newport News you know born and raised and my dad was a very well-known banker you know with town bank for many years and my mom was a very well-known and respected nurse but my mom her heart just it was the weirdest thing and she would do the same exact thing. Like we would be driving like Mercedes and Acuras and like, you know, my, my family was very privileged, like upper middle class. And, you know, we, I would just, I would come home from school one day and be like, mom, like, where's the Jeep Grand Cherokee? Like, where is it? Oh, I, I gave it to the cleaning lady because yeah. she needed it, you know? Right. And I'm like, okay, you give it to her to run errands, right? right. No, no, I gave it to right. her. I gave her a $60,000 yeah. car. And I'm like, mom, what the heck are you yeah. doing? And, and my dad, like, God bless him. He just, he put up with it. You know, he was just like there after a while, like, what can you do? You kind of throw your hands up to it. But I always, I hear a lot of similarities with people mm -hmm. that have individuals like your father, it sounds like, and my mom that they lead in silence yeah. in many, many ways. Yeah. And they lead with their hearts in many different facets that a lot mm -hmm. of people don't see. Mm -hmm. You know, in this day and age of social media where everything has to be like, hey, look, I'm walking up and giving this homeless guy $50. Right. Like everyone like my comments, you know, it, it's, <laughs> you know, for individuals like our parents, you know, they, they didn't have cameras, they didn't have cell phones. Yeah, and uh, like, I never, I never knew about it. My mom, I remember my mom came home and she was just like, I don't know what the heck your dad was doing, but you know, like, God bless him for being such a generous soul. Right. And, but you know, she was just like, he is just 
giving things away and like, you know, people were taking, like, unfortunately, like people were like taking advantage of his generosity. And they will, um, they always will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, it's just moving on, like skipping forward, like years later and more into like the, like, I guess past, like my current past, you know, like within the last couple of years, yeah. I mean, there's been times like, I just, like, I hate my father for that because I feel like I got that attribute from him of yeah. just wanting to be so generous and loving and, and giving and caring for everybody that I'm just like, it like, I feel like it just kind of like comes back and just, I don't know. <laughs> it's just yeah. like kind of bites you in the butt sometimes. It does. Um, it does. But that, you know, that, that was the story of my father and, and we didn't know of like the kind acts or anything that, that he was doing. Um, it was um, probably three months after my father had passed away. Um, my brother was helping my mom with the business and they were driving one of my father's trucks to go pick up a car that had broken down for somebody that my father had loaned a car to or something. Um, and my brother was driving uh, a truck with a trailer on the back and my mom was a like in the passenger side. So this would have been like three months after my father had died, four okay. months. Um, and this car pulled out in front of my brother in Sepulpa, Bixby, Oklahoma, uh, two young girls. And my brother, like, because he had the trailer on the back, he couldn't stop and he T-boned him and he killed one girl. And uh, the other girl ended up being a paraplegic for the rest of her life. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if she's like living or not anymore. Yeah. Um, but my mom, my mom thought my brother was dead whenever she looked over and he was just passed out. And my mom actually has a metal rod in her arm now because of that injury. Um, and you know, what was crazy though, is that, uh, I, at the time I did try to go to college a little bit and I was up in Tahlequah, um, Oklahoma going to school. And, um, I think I was in Tahlequah. I'm not really sure. I wasn't, I wasn't there wherever I was or, or whenever this, my mom didn't even tell me until like a day or two later after the accident happened. Um, my mom just kind of like sucked it up and, and dealt with it. And she, you know, she, she said she looked over at my brother and my brother was just, she couldn't get my brother to like wake up. She couldn't feel her arm. Her arm was just like, like it was just dangling. Um, and that was really, really difficult. I can't imagine like with my my brother going through everything that he just went through, like with my father and my, you know, and they're trying to get my dad's business like up and running again. Uh, and then like for this tragedy to happen and that, you know, it was, Oh, and I know exactly, it's not very far from our house actually. And it's like over this hill to where like, you know, if you're not paying attention, the other cars entering in, if you're not looking, um, and the cars are going like 65 down the highway, yeah. these two young girls just pulled out in front of my brother and he just, he just T-boned them. And it was, uh, you know, I don't, I think my brother had a really hard time with that. I mean, yeah. he, he never talks about it actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, why, why would you want yeah. to talk about it? Right. I mean, but those, so a situation like that, you mentioned your mom didn't even tell you until days later. Do you think that was to protect you or do you think that your mom was just so much that I I'm just in that, like just kind of tunnel vision, like where I, I have to figure this out. I have to fix it. It doesn't even factor into her that, Hey, I have to tell my daughter and my family and let them know what's going on. You know, that's interesting that you asked that because there, there's been other times. I mean, like she's had other accidents, like on her mountain bike and stuff where she like won't mention it or say anything until 
like after there's a plan or like after she's been in the hospital, like, cause she like, she broke her hip one time and it was like, it was like the day after, after she like had surgery or she was getting ready to have surgery. But I, I don't know. I don't know if she does it to protect me or if I don't know. Um, I feel like she does it to protect me because, um, a lot of, I think a lot of like where the shyness comes from and like, um, my lack of social experiences growing up, even like relationship speaking, mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with, because I, I, you know, and mom, if you're listening to this, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but they definitely <laughs> sheltered me. Yeah. They sheltered, especially me. I think they sheltered my brothers some too, but they, I was definitely sheltered. Yeah. I was definitely sheltered. Um, which led me like right after my dad died, the first guy that I met, I latched onto him and then I just got married. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, before we, we pivot to that, um, cause I do want to talk to you about that relationship, but it's funny because with Patsy, the funny thing, and again, I've, I've met her over phone calls and emails and zoom calls, but I've never had the the privilege of getting to meet her face to face yet. But again, similar to our relationship, I feel mm-hmm. like she's family in, yeah. in a lot of ways. I see so many similarities to how she even handles situations and handles adversity and problems and issues same way that you do. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's inherent, right? Guess, that, you yeah. know, you don't even realize it because you, the way that I've seen you, Ashley, in situations of, of, you know, massive problems, things blowing up in our face, uh, you know, whether it's partner problems, you know, with businesses that we're dealing with or stuff here at the brew or, you know, just crazy, crazy scheduling issues. You are so quick to hunker down Mm -hmm. and just, just look down Mm -hmm. and it's just head down, eyes up mentality. Mm -hmm. Like that is, since I've known you, that has been something that, I love about you, but at the same time, it's, it's also a lethal trait to have because, but I I think like, okay, so if there's a problem, this is for me personally, if if there is a problem, if I face with a problem, I feel like if I just go and if I'm like, Hey, like I'm, I'm having this problem or like, you know, X, Y, and Z has happened. It's like, I have to focus on, like, it's not going to, it's not going to solve like the situation. It's not going to help anything. Like I have to figure out like how to get through whatever that is that I've just been like, pitched. You know right, what I mean? Right. And so, I mean, I guess I've never thought of it that way, but I pro- I guess I probably do get that from my mom. Um, because a, a lot of the things, even the stuff that she was going through with my dad, like I had no idea that his, uh, I had no idea that his business was like in shambles. I mean, I was also like, a, like young then I didn't know anything about business or, you know, at all. Uh, I, that didn't even come out until like years later to like, after she ended up selling it, like I, I didn't know about any of the problems that she, was facing with that. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a gift and a curse of a, of a situation and a problem to have. So before we get into this relationship that you just mentioned from Oklahoma, the next chapter that a lot of people usually hear about with you is, is your experience in Guam. Uh So talk to me a little bit about how that came to be because Ashley Horner in Oklahoma to, to Guam. Yeah. How in the hell does that even happen? How did I get to Guam? Yeah. How, well, how, because like, okay, yeah. soccer, you, mm-hmm. you, know, you love soccer, but a lot of people even don't know that about you, that mm-hmm. you had a passion and affinity. It was either gymnastics or soccer mm-hmm. that you had to pick at a very early age. Mm-hmm. You chose soccer. Mm-hmm. How in the world does somebody go and play in Guam from Oklahoma? In well, soccer? that just happened. I ended up, I ended up going to Guam because um, going back to the relationship part, which, um, which we can, we can definitely talk about. Um, 
he was he was moving to Guam and mm. leaving me and the kids in Oklahoma. And right before it was literally the night before that he was leaving, I basically like begged him to take take me with him. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't even together at that point, but I was just like like I had to get out of of Oklahoma and, and like the situation that I was in. Um, and so I, yeah, I just was like, Hey, like, I, I want to go, I want to go with you. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, well, this is hold like, on real quick. you met, you mentioned you wanted to get out of the situation you were in, like uh-huh. what, in Oklahoma. Was it like, what was happening at that time that you wanted to get out of Oklahoma? So yeah. Bad? So, um, yeah, I mean, this kind of goes like into like a really long explanation, but, um, the, and I'm re- I, I do want to say too that the boy's father, like we are really, really good friends and we co-parent so well. And I, I believe that, you know, the past is in the past and um, he has an awesome family now and like all the boys are really close, which is really important to me. Um, but he is, he is a doctor. And um, at the time, whenever cash would have been four months and trip would have been like a year and a half, like close to two, uh, he really wanted me to just be like a stay at home mom. And at the time, like I really wanted to get into, um, personal training and I wanted to train people. And, um, I like had this, uh, like newfound passion of like what my purpose was in life. And, um, he basically gave me an ultimatum. He said I could either stay with him. Um, you know, and, and, and that's how his family was. And I don't, I don't fault him for that because, you know, his family growing up, his dad worked and his mom stayed at home and he wanted me to be that stay at home mom, like with, with the kids. And, um, I like had this fire lit within me where I wanted to train people and I wanted to, um, even get into competing and kind of like, I guess, like forge that path that I, you know, that I, I didn't know anything about it, but I was really, really interested in it. And he basically gave me an ultimatum. I remember like we sat in the counselor's office and he was just like, she either picks me or she picks her fitness career. And I remember the lady and I like laugh at it now. And the lady was like, don't you give her an ultimatum? Don't you do it? And dude, this was like my mom to a T. And I remember like, I looked at him and I was like, oh, really? I was like, okay, watch me. And, uh, you know, and then so that like the next probably maybe a year, uh, just a lot of struggles. I I had the boys and um, I was... uh, I was a personal trainer working at like a Globo gym. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of had this mentality of like, oh yeah, like let me prove you wrong. Like watch me. Yeah. And I didn't realize like, you know, I had the boys like during the week, I would get like a little help on the weekends. Uh, and it was like really tough. I struggled. I struggled. And um, at the time, like we were separated, but I don't think like the papers had actually like legally gone through. And um, I, uh, you know, whenever it comes to personal training, like the times that you train clients are typically like early in the morning or like late at night, either before they go to work or like after they get off work. And so I would bring the kids like really early in the morning. I'd have to wake them up at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning. And they were tiny to take them to like the kids club that like wasn't even open yet. And I remember setting them in the dark room to like sleep until like 8 or 9 a.m. just so I could train clients. And, um, and so the only time that I could work is like I was I was working at a bar on the weekends um, to make extra money because I wasn't able to make enough yet doing like the personal training, like the face to face personal training. And uh, the lifestyle of working at a bar was uh, I made really, really good money. But um, I was starting to 
like slip a little bit. Like I was starting to miss my clients because I'd work until like two, three, no, like three, 4 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then Saturday mornings or Sundays, I would have clients like really early in the morning. And I, I was, I was, I wasn't able, I wasn't, I was missing my sessions, like with my clients who like paid money. And it just, I was doing this for, man, it was probably like maybe eight months of doing this. And I just realized it was like, I like the money was really good, like being a bartender. And I was a horrible bartender, by the way. <laughs> I was so bad. Says the girl who now owns one yeah, of the most I popular know, dude, coffee whiskey bars. I was bars. so, I was like really bad at bartending because I just got kind of like thrown into it. Right. And, um, and I just remember thinking like my only way out, um, I just had to get out of Oklahoma because I didn't think that I could make it. Um, in Oklahoma with the kids by myself with absolutely no help because he was leaving us. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just like, look, I was like, we don't have to be together, but I was like, can, can I at least like move there with you? The kids will be there with you. At the time there were two military bases or there are two military bases on Guam. And, you know, I was like, I can work at the air force base and the Navy base. Like I can, you know, be a, uh, like a contracted trainer for the military. And I was like, like I, it was just a split, a sec, split second decision and he agreed to it. And so, um, so I moved out there and then I, you know, got a little condo and I just started doing life like with the kids, but there was never a time. It, it was just so bizarre. And, you know, like there wasn't, there wasn't even like we, like I had my own place the whole time and um, I just like, I made it work when we started co-parenting out there. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's an incredible story because even I, myself, I, I didn't know to what respect, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the Guam chapter opened yeah. up. Right. And again, like, I think even those that know you best over the years, I haven't heard you go into to great yeah. detail about that. So I, I appreciate you being so very candid about it. When you're in Guam, mm -hmm. where does soccer fall into the fold? You know, and, you know, at what point does it just, you know, you played soccer, I guess, high school, a little bit in college? Uh, I walked onto the college team in, um, in, I walked onto the college team in Tahlequah, um, Oklahoma, which was like, I did like a year of college before. I just realized that school wasn't for me. And then plus like my father got sick. So I ended up just coming home. And I think I was, I must've been going to school like at a, like a, what do you call like a two-year college? Junior college. Like a junior college. Yeah. It was like closer to home. Yeah, Juco. Mm -hmm. um, and so like soccer was like always my thing. And so I, um, whenever I came to Guam, it was just like, I met this group of people and they were, they were just badass girls who played soccer out there in Guam. And I was like, can I, try out. They played for the women's national team out there in Guam. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. So I, but I was, um, that at that time, I think that I, I missed my eligibility. I'm not even joking by literally weeks to really? play against my first game in Japan. Yeah. Cause they had to check all of your eligibility and to be able to play on the, uh, women's national team, maybe it's any national team, but you have to be a resident for two years. No. And I missed that literally. I think I probably could have fought it. I think that we could have, you know. Sure. Um, but I, I missed it by like two weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So where would you have played? Olympics, World Cup? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like rec I don't know recreational if I league? I don't know <laughs> if I would have taken it that far. I mean, I played ODP, Olympic Development. Right. And I remember my coaches during like ODP pulled me aside and was like, hey, you have like, you have, you have like a, 
a, a good chance of like going all the way. But like, I really felt like at that time I was just burnt out. I'd played soccer my whole life. I gave up gymnastics when I was a young teen, um, to take on soccer full time. And, uh, I, I, I think that, uh, one of the reasons why I was such a good soccer player is because I was just literally racing my brother all the time, like trying to beat him. And then I was trying to race my mom. My mom was an athlete growing up. Um, I don't really know about my father, but, uh, um, you know, the, the athletic gene pool was like pretty good in my family. And so I just was always like sprinting and like running everywhere. And so I was, I was fast and I had like, you know, I have like these thick soccer legs. So I was like really aggressive. And, um, so I don't know, I don't know like where my career would have taken me if I, I don't even know if I would have played again if I wouldn't have gone to Guam. So, okay. So soccer was an outlet for you and you know, I I was training too. I was training the Island of Guam, I think was, it's like, five miles long. It's really little. Like you could actually yeah. drive around the whole Island in a day. Wow. So I was training like the, the Navy base was at like the Northern part and then, then the air force base with the Southern part. So okay. I was training and like trying to work at like both bases. So I was still, I was basically in the same boat and still struggling. I really struggled. I really, really struggled in Guam. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, it was expensive. It was expensive for me to live there again, just being a, trying to be like a, like an in-person trainer with the boys because they were really young and I had them like most of the time getting to train individuals and then take care of my boys. Yeah. And I, and I think at, at that point you are, you're probably realizing a, I mean, you tell me, but I, I would imagine that at that point balancing the different elements and kind of looking at fitness in a new stage and level, not mm-hmm. just, you know, working at, as we call it a globo gym and, you know, dealing with Joe Schmoes and training them, but you're dealing with more disciplined individuals and structured human beings and, and kind of working at multiple bases as you're working and kind of doing all of this. And just, again, it's gotta be like a tornado of emotions that you have in Guam mm-hmm. where it's just tunnel vision in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I feel like we all have that moment where we are just, we wake up one day and we're like, what about me? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what am I doing? Like, I need to be selfish. Did, did you ever have that moment in Guam at all? Like, it, like, was it just like, you know, was there anything that was missing where you just like, Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Like I need to be doing this. I need mm-hmm. to be doing that. Like mm-hmm. talk to me just about like kind of what put the end of that chapter mm-hmm. in Guam. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this, that Ashley Horner, who she is today was born in Guam. I found myself in Guam and I also made, uh, there were decisions that I made out there that I were not proud of that. I ended up having to backstep to like fix it or make it obsolete. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. on. Bad decisions. Good decisions. I mean, I can't say that it's a bad decision because if it wasn't for that decision that I made, because I think like everything happens for a reason, that decision, you're going to, you're going to literally put the cliffhanger (laughs) out here and say that decision. Okay. uh, It's, it's definitely a huge part of my story that I've, I've actually, I've I've never talked about. I don't think you definitely don't even know about this part of my life. Um, but it's, uh, it, it deserves another whiskey drink probably. Yeah. So 
Let's do this. Okay. I'm going to run down to the bar okay. and I'm going to get us another cocktail. <laughs> okay. uh, what we're going to do here, folks, is we're going to make this a multifaceted episodic approach. I think this is good because yeah. it gets it gets deep, guys. Absolutely. And I think, again, this is this is no script, no cliffhanger, no laptops. Like this is raw, real and uncut with what we're doing right now. And I, I certainly I need to know about this decision because this may affect some business <laughs> that we're doing. But, no, nothing like that. All right. Well, look, let's just let's just hope there's no dead bodies anywhere or anything like that. Well, okay. Oh, I no. can't promise that. Oh, boy. <laughs> awesome. Well, friends, family, listeners, thank you again so much for tuning in. Tune into the next episode. You can listen to anywhere you can download your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, iTunes, and anywhere else that podcasts are downloaded. So To get your podcast fix, my name is Ashley Horner. I'm joined today by Andrew Stallings. And catch us next time. You're not going to want to miss this next episode. We are out. Peace. Peace.